All right, well, tonight I want to talk about a vision to perpetuate purity. Let me say it again, a vision to perpetuate purity in our family. The world has become very wicked in sexual uh, ways that it's, it's really ugly what's going on, and we all know it, and we all have, you know, our children that we want to keep pure. How many want to keep your kids pure? As far as I know, my children have stayed pure to marriage as my wife and I did, and, and I'll tell you what, I, people grossly underestimate how sexual purity affects almost everything. It's a way bigger deal than what people understand. It's really marriage begins, I mean, Genesis begins with a marriage and Revelation ends with a marriage, and our relationship with God is a marriage type of relationship. It's very important that we keep that portion pure. When I... I remember all of our kids, I taught them about sexual things before they hit two digits. So they were somewhere between seven and nine. And I taught them all, and I said, now this is the most holy thing other than your relationship with God, and if you keep this pure. But wicked people will try to get you to deviate away from purity in this area. And my, my parents, I believe, were pure. I believe that my children will be pure, and I believe because Julie and I stayed away from that. And, and how many of you know, uh, it, it, it was a, I don't care who you are, it's a temptation for everybody. I, I, I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to fill you in on a little secret, ladies and everybody, every man is tempted with pornography, every man is. Because they're built that their eyes are such, but that doesn't mean every man is giving into it. But that, and, and every woman probably has temptations that we don't understand, even though today it's very bizarre because the uh, viewing of pornography is almost as much women now as men. Something's changed. It's very bizarre. But anyway, we're going to talk about that tonight. And how do we keep our kids pure in a world of perversity? And I look, and, you know, there's 58 different gender IDs now. That's the last time I checked. It's probably doubled by now. Free spirit is one of them. I'm a free spirit. I'm not a male or a female. I'm a free spirit. And, and a whole bunch of other crazy, demonic, stupid-sounding things. They, it's like they don't even know what gender is. 85% people today have sex before marriage. So if you're a virgin, you're very, very rare. And 67% of the people in America today are for gay marriage. 70% of the people today are for, a, it's okay to have a gay president. I just looked these up today. These are up to date. Sex trafficking in the porn industry is bringing in billions of dollars. And truth be known, and, and a lot of good sources say, our legislators are looking the other way on purpose. Because a lot of the money being made, there's probably money in your 401k you don't know about that's pornography and maybe even sex trafficking. Unless you have gotten in with that group that specifically keeps that out of your portfolio. Because a lot of that stuff is hidden in our investments. And so it's very wicked what's going on today. 73% of women view pornography. 98% of men view pornography today. Yeah. It's really gotten ugly. This is not the first time, though, that we've had this dilemma that has vexed the righteous with this depravity all around us. Let me read something from 1963. And this is the, the 45 goals of communism for America. And I'm just going to hit seven. It says, U.S. acceptance and coexistence as the only alternative to atomic war. Willingness to capitulate in pre preference to engaging atomic war U.S. And then uh, develop the illusion that total disarmament by the United States would be a demonstration of moral strength, demonstration of stupidity. Uh, permit free trade between all nations regardless of communist affiliation, regardless of whether or not the items could be used for war. Extension of long-term loans to Russian and Soviet satellites. Provide American aid to all nations regardless of communist uh, domination. Grant recognition of Red China, admission to Red China, to the UN. Set up and this goes on, it goes on, and you think everything's political. But then you get to some of these in, more interesting things. It says later on, number 24 through 26, it says, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship. 
and a violation of free speech and free press. Break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazine, motion pictures, radio, and TV. This was com communist 50 years ago. Uh, 60 some years ago, yeah. Present homosexuality, degeneracy, promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. Kerry Gordon's doing a movie on that right now. How many of you know that George Soros is funding Campus Crusade with millions of dollars to veer left liberal theology and social justice and doing away? Well, this is something that the communists had for us to do 60 years ago. Infiltrate churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. That's where the social justice movement comes from. Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. Eliminate prayer or any phase of religious expression in schools, the grounds that it violates the principles of separation of church and state. Yeah, we got that from Russia, the communists. Discredit the American Constitution by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, and one step out of step with modern needs, a hindrance to cooperation between nations and worldwide ideas. Discredit American founding fathers. Present them as selfish aristocrats which had no concern for the common man. And it just goes on, and it just goes on, and it just goes on. Uh, and, and, and it's something that's really strange is the dumbing down of art. I'm trying to find that one. Where was that? Uh, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Okay. Emphasize the need to raise children away from negative influence of parents. Attribute prejudice, mental blocks, and retarding of children to the suppressive influence of parents. Sound familiar, all this stuff? Okay. I mean, I've got to find that one. I'm sorry. Uh, how many of you feel like they've been pretty successful? Use students' riots to foment public protests against programs, organizations which are under the communist attack. Okay. Continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. An American communist cell was told to eliminate all good sculpture from parks and buildings and substitute with shapeless, awkward, meaningless forms. Control art critics and directors of art museums. Our plan is to promote ugliness repulsiveness, and meaningless art. There was a bill passed just the other day in Washington, D.C. All federal buildings must adhere to a classical form of architecture instead of this modern, ugly, square, plain, nothingness architecture. That, 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 that was brought forth in, in Congress or the Senate. So anyway, but how many of you saw the sexual... Uh, how many know Satan wants to use sex to destroy us as a nation? Number two, we can see in ancient Rome the senators would divorce their wives and it was fashionable to parade around their new 12-year-old boy that they married. How many think that's pretty perverted? Numbers, Israel had fallen to a place during the time uh, of when Barak or not Barak, but when, uh, who's the guy that get the donkey talked to him? Balaam sold out to Barak, Balak, and they were all marrying whores, temple prostitutes. And God brought a great plague and destroyed them. And Phineas, a hero of purity, came and struck him through with a spear, and then he became the only legitimate form of Levites after that. How I many you know a Levite cannot marry a woman that's ever been married or ever had sex before? 
and the stipulations for a Levite is extremely higher standards of sexual purity than anybody else. So anyway, those are just some interesting things. But I want to talk about today, from the beginning of man, uh, there has been these sexual attacks, especially in the very beginning. Man became very perverted very quickly. We're going to look at that in Genesis. Turn to Genesis, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 7. From the beginning of man, and then look at Noah's purity in the midst of extreme sexual depravity and how his family survived in that atmosphere. I want to talk to you about that tonight. How many would like to know how you keep your kids pure in the middle of a sexually perverted generation? Amen. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that verses 1 through 7, and we're in chapter 6 of Genesis, and it says, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. That's sex, people. Multiplying requires sex. On the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men. The sons of God here, is a, the early church fathers believed this, that those were angels, fallen angels that are referred to in Second Peter and in the book of Jude that left their first estate and entered into an unlawful relationship with human beings. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them as wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, that he is also his flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. And they became mighty men, which are of old, men of renown. Those were the giants. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on this earth and it grieved him at his heart. In other words, he wished he'd never made man because when the angels and men began to uh, come together in a perverse way, uh, it was a terrible thing. And then the Lord said this, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and all creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. So we look at that. Uh, there's an extreme depravity there. Now, I'm going to turn quickly. We're going to go to Jude 1, at 7 through 8, then we're going to look at, and we're going to look at these things that it says about these angels. And, you know, some, some want to just say that was just men from other countries. Well, then, uh, just being a man from another country doesn't create giants. Well, maybe with the Netherlands, but other than that, you know. But just because people are from other countries doesn't mean that you're going to produce giants as a result of that. And so we look at that, and so it had to be something supernatural going on, and they were wicked, and God had David kill the giants, and they, and they destroyed the giants, and then uh, there weren't giants after that. So we know that there's something u- unique and unusual about that, and Peter tells us about it. And it says down there in Second Peter 2 and verse 4, And God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And then you look at that, so they sinned. Well, what is... What was the sin? So then you go to Jude, because that's another place where it refers to it. And in Jude, it says this, verses 7 and 8. There's only one chapter in Jude. And it says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, excuse me, verse 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate or principality, or you could say their domain or their dominion or their jurisdiction, they left that, but left their own habitation. Well, there's something there that they went outside the boundaries that God had set for them. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, why would God have some angels in chains, in darkness, in prison cells in hell? Why... Just some of them and not all the rest. Why doesn't he put them all there? Why only certain ones? I mean, he's going to put some in there. I'd like to just put all of them down there. But he doesn't. The reason why he doesn't with these kind is somehow, some way, they left their first estate and they intermingled with men and it created giants. And uh, the early church fathers agree upon that. In modern, more liberal days of teaching, they tried to marginalize that teaching and 
and make it into something else. But the bottom line is, humans and angels are having sex together. That's pretty weird. How many of you know in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a mass mob of homosexual rapists roaming the city, and they wanted to rape the two angels? I mean, that's pretty sick. I mean, bad enough it's bestiality, but then you get into the holy angels and you want to rape them, or that angels want to have sex with human beings. And I know people that are deep into the satanic occult, and they say that, that there's, there's things like that that aren't the same, but there's some type of interaction there where the angels, the fallen angels, would still like to be doing those sort of things. Now let's go on to one other place, Luke 17, 25 through 30. Now I'm not trying to gross you out. Can we keep going or is everybody grossed out by now? Okay, sorry. 25 through 30, it says this, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be the days of the Son of Man that they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. And they that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So it talks about Noah. Everybody say, Jesus talked about Noah. And then he talked about Lot. There's three times where God talks about this. And he talks about it concerning the angels. He talks about this, about Noah. He talks about Lot. He talks about it in Luke. He talks about it in Second Peter. And it says, and likewise also was in the days of Lot. They did eat and they drank. They bought and they planted. And excuse me. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage. When you go back into the ancient rabbinic commentaries, they will say they married wives. They specifically says they married wives to delineate from what they said next, and they were given in marriage. Whereas they were marrying wives, and they were marrying things other than wives. They were giving homosexual marriage contracts long before Sodom and Gomorrah, way back in the days of Noah. There's homosexual marriage. Till the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, also, it was in the days of Lot that they did eat, they drank, and they bought, and they sold, and they planted, and they built. But in the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So there's three times that are the same. The days of Noah before the flood, the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, both of those communities had homosexuality, and the return of the Son of Man will be filled with homosexuality. Where there's homosexuality, there's every other type of perversion always. It always opens the doors to everything because it is kind of one of the latter progressions of perversity. Kind of like you've got progressivism, socialism, communism, totalitarianism, and then antichrist. They're all the progression downward of the same thing. Homosexuality is a progression downward of the same thing, which is perverting marriage and God's plan for man. Somebody say amen. amen. So when we understand that, we can see that, that the reason why there's always destruction at the end of that, because, you know, kind of like they used to sing about the fair in Kansas City, they've gone about as far as they can go. Anybody remember that movie? That dates me. Nobody saw that movie probably but me. But anyway, it's, it's re- they had a song about that. They've gone about as far as they can go down there in Kansas City at that World's Fair. Well, you know, when this happens, in the days of Noah, they went about as far as they could go. You can get down to the bottom of the barrel, you can't go any lower. In the days of Lot, they went about as far as they can go, and they're going to go about as far as they can go. And we need to learn that there's a difference between the way Lot ruled his family and the way that Noah ruled his family. How many want a vision for the purity of your, pros- of your uh, posterity? I, want to, I almost said prosperity. Posterity. Amen. So we look at that. The days of Noah, all these things were going on. Notice that the days of Noah and Lot always are connected. That's by design. That's for a juxtaposition of how one man saved his family from a perverted world and how one man did not. 
Let's go there, and we're going to see that in Second Peter. We're going to look at this tremendous parallel and, and this contrasting that God makes. And we're going to begin there in verse 4, because that time it says, and we're going to read this again because we just read it, Second Peter 2, 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, and saved Noah, the eighth person. In the Moffat translation, it says Noah, and seven others. Okay, so there's Noah, there's his wife, there's his two sons, and their wives. That's Noah and seven others, which equals eight. Noah, Noah and his wife, his two sons, and his two daughters. Why do I only see six? Who? And his two sons. Yeah, I just counted the daughters, daughter-in-laws. So that's eight. Just because I can't count doesn't mean it's not true. And so that's eight. One and seven others. In the King James it says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Then it says he was a preacher of righteousness. Remember that. Bringing in the flood upon the ungodly, the world of the ungodly. Wow. And then he changes over to another location, another time, but the same thing going on. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's many years later, into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live godly, and delivered just Lot. doesn't mean just Lot. That means just as in righteous Lot. He was just man. Not just as in he's the only one, but he was the only one. And delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, so he was righteous. Noah was clearly righteous. He walked with God and he was chosen. He's the only one whose generations weren't defiled. So two righteous men. How many, there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot, you can have one Christian living on one side of the street and all of his kids are serving God and you can have another Christian living on their side of the street and they're all living for the devil. And they're sleeping around, having sex with everybody and everything in every way. I want to tell you why that happens tonight. I'm not going to. The Bible's going to tell you why that happens tonight. Because Lot was righteous, the Bible says. Just Lot vexed his filthy conversation. Of the wicked, and, it, and it vexed his soul, the filthy conversation or lifestyle going on around him. Well, he was righteous. He hated what was going on. But yet none of his family got saved. Got saved from the perverse world that they were living in. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their ungodly deeds. And the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God knows how to get us out of that. And that's why he has these two cases, these study, these cases in the Bible. And when we look at it, we can see some interesting things. So how many of you want to look at Mr. Noah and dig up what it was that made him different than Lot? Anybody interested in doing that tonight? All right, well, let's go back to Genesis then, to 6. Genesis 6. We're going to look at some things, and we're going to show the differences between Lot and Noah. And it's in the parents. It's in what the parents are doing here. And it's very interesting. And you start out, and you just read Genesis 8 through 12. It just talked about how they thought only on evil continually. The angels were having sex with the humans. God wished he'd never made man, and he's going to destroy them all. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. What, what, what does that mean? Well, it makes no sense unless you read chapter 5. And I look at every comment commentary it says these are the generations of Noah and the writer is alluding to these are the generations these are the folks where Noah came from and we're going to tell you a story about his children and not only the folks that 
he came from, but the people that came from him. How many of you know God wants us to not just be able to get our kids saved, but teach our kids how to get their kids to get their kids saved and walk with God? Okay. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and these are the generations of Noah. You know, it takes more than a village. It takes a generational commitment to keep kids from going into darkness and sexual promiscuity. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and that means a righteous man, and perfect in his generations. There's been a lot of controversy as to what that means. But it means that the people that walked before him walked with God, and the people after him walked with God. And it says, and Noah walked with God. So the key verse there is verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And then verse 10, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So now it talks about Noah and talks about sons. But see, you've got to remember there is a chapter 5, and go back to verse 22 in chapter 5. And Enoch walked with God. After that he begat Methuselah 300 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 160 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, second time it says it, and was not, for God took him. In other words, he's the first picture of the rapture that we have. How many of you know Elijah is the second picture of the rapture that we have? He went up in the chariot. How many of you know Jesus is the third picture of the rapture when he had his ascension? We use a big fancy religious sound word, ascension, but, you know, it, all that was was his, his own private rapture. We've got some other typologies in the Bible, too. But anyway, he's the first rapture guy. And Methuselah lived 180 years and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech in 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were, made, were 160 and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived 180 years and two years, and he begat a son, and he called his name Noah. So he came from Enoch and Methuselah, who were godly men who walked with God. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 years and begat sons and daughters. And the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Sham, Ham, and Japheth. So that takes all the way from his grandpa down to his children. And then when he's saying his generations are pure, he's alluding to that. Can you all understand that? So he's alluding to what it said in the chapter before. So, generational purity is very important. And so, if you're not being pure right now, you're going to have a hard time believing and receiving from God your children being protected and walking in purity. And maybe why you aren't pure is because you're parents weren't pure, and you're going to have to break that link. How many know God can break any third, third to the third and fourth generation? He can break those links. Amen. So as the generations know before and after who he came from and who he produced, what kind of people he came from and what kind of people he produced, and he was a just man who was righteous, he was perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. That was Noah. That's a, that's a profile of Noah. He lived a life that was unusually godly. Like the only one left on the earth that was godly. And see, we see this continuous putting Noah and Lot together. He saved Noah and his family, it says in 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5. God saved Noah and his family. And he mentioned that he was a preacher. Now we know also he built an ark. We all have people that we're supposed to preach to. And we all need to help build an ark, so to speak, by helping build the local church. And we're all supposed to live by vision. God gave Noah a vision. He described what he was supposed to build. It only mentions that Lot was delivered instead of his whole family. How many remember my sermon, the first family of Sodom, or 
does marriage really matter? And we found out that Lot was willing to let his two daughters be mass raped by a, a gang of homosexual rape mob. And they wanted to come and have sex with the angels. He says, ah, no, I'll give you my two virgin daughters. Any dad that would do that has something wrong with his head, right? Number two, we found out that he called them virgins. And then right down there a few verses, it says, then these two son-in-laws, when he went to tell son-in-laws, why are they still virgins if he has son-in-laws? So that tells me he has son-in-laws, but they never consummated the marriage with, it, with his daughters. That tells me that there's something wrong with their marriage. Can I get an amen? In other words, they were probably homosexuals. Or maybe they just married Lot because he was this rich guy that came to town, and he sits in the gate, so he's a, he's a potentate of some type. And his uncle Abraham came and saved the whole city and gave him all the money back and brought Lot back. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's related to that famous Abraham guy that came and saved us all from the five-king confederation that attacked us. He's the guy that returned all of our money. He's the guy that returned his, his uh, son-in-law, Lot, his nephew, excuse me, Lot. And maybe we want to hook up with that family and just marry those daughters, but not have anything to do with them sexually, but just be married into that rich, famous, powerful, sit-in-the-gate guy family. So I don't know why they married, but they were still virgins, and they were married. And the sons really displayed all the signs of a reprobate mind. Because when the angels came and told Lot that he was going to destroy the city, they were going to destroy the city because of their wickedness, he said, go tell your son-in-laws that. He went and told his son-in-laws that the city was wicked and that God was going to judge it and be destroyed. And they looked at him like he was crazy. Do you know what the definition of a reprobate mind is? That you no longer have the ability have judgment concerning right and wrong. So they were depraved. It says in Romans 1, the reason why people become depraved is because they profess to be wise. They become fools. How? It tells you that too, because they worship nature and they become involved with homosexuality. It says that right in Romans. It says that's what gives you a reprobate mind. And a reprobate mind means somebody who can't tell. So all evidence points to he had son-in-laws that were homosexuals. So now his daughters are married to these guys, and then his wife was told to not look back, and she must have had some type of an affection, because how many of you know God doesn't kill you for just turning your head? No, the, the, the reason why he put her to death and she became a pillar of salt when she looked back is because she wasn't fully repented and she was turning back around and looking the wrong way. So she must have had some affection for Sodom and Gomorrah. And then later when they come out, the two daughters molest their dad, get him drunk and molest him with an incestuous rape that took place. So it doesn't say that they were saved. It says only Lot was saved out of Sodom. But it says that Noah, his whole family was saved. I think that's very interesting. Okay, let's look at some things here. How many of you know, when you look at Lot in Genesis 13, 5 through 13, it says that Lot was traveling with his uncle. Was walk he basically walked with his uncle. How I remember it says that Abraham was very rich. Remember that? 13, chapter Genesis. Then it says that they had so many cattle between the two of them, fights broke out among their herdsmen. And one day, then Abraham called a meeting, him and Lot, and he says, we've got too much cattle for this amount of ground, and our guys are fighting, and there's infighting between us. And so you're going to have to make a big choice today. You're either going to have to take this ground over here, and that was the ground that would be promised to Abraham later. And then, or you're going to have to take this well-watered plain, which appeared to be the far better ground, but on this ground was also a city. It was probably comparable to Las Vegas. And he says, which way are you going to choose? One was a land of promise and vision, 
One was a land of immediate wealth and carnal pleasures. One I would liken to the heavenly vision and one I would liken to the American dream. And look what Lot's choice was when that came, Genesis 13. And we can see he says this about Lot. It says, And Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. Of course, we know what Canaan is. That's the land of promise. That would one day be theirs and, and there would be all these blessings. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. I'll never forget the time Brother Hagin told a story about a man that he knew. And this man came to Brother Hagin and said, I've been thinking about leaving my church because a job came up in another city. And he said, this job pays more, and I feel like I need to go there to advance my career. I feel like this job would be better uh, in the long haul because it pays more, it's a better job, has a greater potential. And Brother Hagin says, but is there a word church there? Is there a good, strong word church? He says, well, I don't know, but I suppose there's a good church there. He went and he checked out the job. He came back, well, there isn't, but there's one that's kind of in another city. I, we could probably drive back and forth there, my kids and my wife. And, and Brother Hagin says, well, I, you shouldn't go because of a job. You should go because God's calling you to another church and another job both, not just another job. And he said, well, you know, I can probably find a way to get to it. And he kind of just kept waffling and compromising, contradicting his spiritual superior, trying to put some sense into his empty head. And he was sitting there making arguments why he should. And he says, okay, he says, just go, go ahead, do it. So he was falling after the heaven, he was falling after the American dream instead of the heavenly vision. How, how many of you know Paul said that the heavenly vision wasn't easy? The American dream is what a lot of people chase instead of the heavenly vision. He went there and, well, over time, that job they moved, he lost his job. He kept looking for a job, put so much stress on him, he divorced his wife. Then it wasn't long after that, all of his kids, all of his kids became complete rebels and apostated. So now he's broke. He doesn't have enough money to move. Now his wife has left him. Now his kids are living for the devil, and he doesn't have any job. How many of you think that was a good move? See, Lot th thought that Sodom and Gomorrah, it said, you know, these were, well, these were fertile. This was fertile ground. This was where the action was. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the Lord said that the people there were exceedingly wicked. You can't take your family into a wicked place and think it's not going to affect them. Okay, let me, let me show you some differences between Lot and Noah. Noah walked with God. How, how, what does that mean? Well, we know in 2 Peter 2.5, he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a soul winner. He cared about lost people. He went out and he talked to people. He went out to win souls. He didn't go out to make money down in Sodom. I'm going to tell you something. Today, I'm going to tell you something. If you care about souls and filling God's house, God will care about your house. Do you take care of that, number one, most urgent need of the world today? And you put your family to work. You know, if he was a preacher of righteousness, you know, I'm wondering if... You know, it doesn't say that his kids helped him with the preaching or the building of the ark, but all the scholars and all the commentaries say it's, it's the most probable thing is in an agrarian society back in those days where men's family was their workforce and that absolutely they probably helped him with the preaching and they probably helped him with the building of the ark. How many would say that that's probably a good guess? It doesn't specifically say it, but it's inferred greatly in numerous verses. 
So number one, he walked with God. And then it says, God said to him, build me an ark. How many of you know that is receiving the vision, writing it down, making it plain upon tables so that he that readeth it may run with you? And he, How many of you know he didn't build that alone? He probably hired people. He probably had his sons helping him. Probably had his wife helping him. Probably had his daughter-in-laws helping him. In other words, the whole family stayed busy in preaching and building the mechanism that God gave them to bring salvation to people. How many of the local churches, the mechanism that God has given us to bring salvation to people? So he has employed his family in the work of God, a vision for the future, that one day they would build this ark, the judgment would come, they would get out of that ark, they'd be the only people left on the earth, and he told them to go out from there to be fruitful and multiply. Sounds just like Genesis 127. And they, they, they have this vision of trying to save, building a way of escape, like the rapture. It's like we're called to preach to people, making a way of escape through the church, which would be then the rapture, going into the eternal state and starting over with our rewards and living for eternity with God as the covenant people. See, all this stuff speaks of us and the end times and the final culmination of all things in the eternal state. It's the heavenly vision. And we've got the same thing before us, and we've got to decide whether we're going to employ ourselves and our family in this business which is the only business on earth that will keep your family pure and save them from the world that's going to perish. Somebody say amen. And sometimes we don't think the church is all that important or the preaching of the gospel is all that important. But it's absolutely, all your talk isn't going to save your kids from a promiscuous life. All your yelling at them and is not going to save your kids from a promiscuous What's going to save your kids from a promiscuous life is you employing yourself in the vision that God gave us, the local church and the preaching of the gospel, and employing your kids in it as well. Somebody say amen. That's what's going to save our kids from doing it. We, we put our kids to work in the church from day one. That's all they ever knew what to do. And it's the most effective thing to keep your kids pure. So here we see that... God said, build an ark, and Noah obeyed him. God made a covenant, and he said it'd be with Noah and his kids. Noah obeyed the commandment, and he fulfilled the heavenly vision. Genesis 7-1, it says, thee and thy house into the ark. So this remnant family, with even a remnant of animals, was a remnant. We're preparing for the next world and the next life. Are we preparing for the next life, or are we, lit, are we pitching our tent towards Sodom? We can prepare for our next life, or we, can pre, or we can pitch our life down here towards Sodom. And it's going to affect our kids. You know, you can be Lot, and, and you'll be saved, but how about your kids? See, Lot was saved. He was righteous. He was saved, but his kids wasn't. What was the difference between him and Noah? His kids never got employed in doing anything that was heavenly vision. They followed him in the American dream which is go, get all you can, fulfill your pleasures, get rich, and go where the action is, where, where it looks best for me. Not the land of promise like Canaan. Abraham represents the transcendent. Abraham represents faith. Abraham represents not the seen but the unseen, not the temporal but the eternal. He represents all those things that he pitched his life towards and Lot pitched his life towards everything that's the temporal, everything that is the scene, everything that's self-gratification, everything that fulfills my ego, my flesh, and my pride, and my me, me, me. He pitched his tent towards that. And you know, your kids can tell that. Your kids will know the difference. Somebody say amen. So Genesis, he tells them to go forth in Genesis 8, 15, and 16. In Genesis 9, 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Boy, that sounds a lot like the Great Commission to me. Those are, oh, well, maybe Jesus was thinking about those verses when he was saying those things, because it's just like back then, as it says in Ecclesiastes, that which has been will be again. 
There's nothing new under the sun, and everything is cyclical. So Lot's family is destroyed physically, sexually, and spiritually because he pitched his tent towards Sodom instead of employing himself and his family in the heavenly vision of building the ark, which is the church, and preaching righteousness, which is the preaching of the gospel. And it shows up in the kids. Noah gave his life to the heavenly vision. He walked with God. He was a preacher of righteousness. He obeyed to build the ark. His children most likely helped him from everything we can tell. He burnt sacrifices to God when he got off that ark. He made sacrifices. How many of that represents the sacrifice sometimes you have to make to serve God? He looked to a new world. He didn't look back. He didn't look to the things of this world. Hebrews 11.7. We'll just turn there. And I like what it says over here in Hebrew in the hall. Hall of faith. The hall of fame. Hall of faith. Oops. Hebrews 11. It goes over and it says about Noah. It says, here it is. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Wait, I, th- I thought fear and faith are incompatible. Not fear for himself, but moved with fear for others. Moved with fear, prepared an ark unto the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world, became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah was a man of faith. So different than Lot. Lot was saved, but he wasn't a man of faith. Lot didn't walk with Abraham. He diverged and went another direction. Abraham was the covenant man. Just like the kids of Noah were saved because they walked with their dad, because he was the covenant guy, Lot could have stayed with Abraham but he didn't walk with him. He pitched his tent like an American dream. There's no mention of him obeying God. Not once does it ever say that Lot ever obeyed God. Isn't that interesting? But it emphasizes a lot how much that Noah obeyed God. It mentions a lot about how Noah walked with God. It never once mentions that Lot ever walked with God. No mention of him preaching any righteousness. And he had a position in the city. He lived in the city. I know people have great positions of influence. And they have never mentioned Jesus, the Bible, or the gospel ever once. Because they're embarrassed of it, I guess. I don't know. So no, not once does he say that he was a preacher of righteousness. Never once does it say Lot obeyed God. Never once does it say that God could even speak to him about a vision for his life. God could speak to Noah about a vision because he walked with God, because he knew he would obey God. He knew that he was a just or righteous man. He knew he could talk to Noah, have a conversation, and Noah would follow the heavenly vision that he was assigning to him. He couldn't even, no, never once say that he ever talked a lot. Never once to say that he obeyed. Never once to say he ever had any intention of preaching to anyone. How I many, a lot of Christians live their life that way? No mention of any burnt offerings. Noah sacrificed. He built something that probably was a humiliation in his community. And then he made sacrifices with the, with the animals when he got off the ark. No mention of burnt offerings. Lot did not look and plan for a new world. He only immersed himself in the present world that he was in. You know, Jesus is coming for those who are looking for his coming. How much consciousness do you have of the next world, its rewards, and its eternal nature? It is forever. And everything should be revolving around it. Lot didn't pay it any mind. Never once does it say that Lot ever thought or planned or talked to his kids about the world that is yet to come. 
That's very important that we do that with our kids. That they don't get the idea that everything is about the here and now. He did not look or plan for a new world, but immersed himself and his family in the present one. Didn't have, you know, a lot of people don't have time. There's no time for the things of God. When I look at that, I think about how these two families are so different and how you can be saved. But what's important is how, do, how well do we pass on what we have? How many of you believe that we should be passing on? It says in Psalms, and then I, I lost my place on this, but I think it's Psalm 67. Maybe it's Psalm 68. I remember the scripture. I don't remember where it is right now, but it says that we speak of his mighty works from one generation to another. How many of you have told your kids the way you were before you were saved when you got saved and how God changed you. All my kids know my testimony. All my kids know my mom and dad's testimony. And I think it's one of the most important things that we pass it down. Another thing I think is important. How many of you talk to your kids about eternity? I don't think people do that anymore. People don't even talk about the rapture anymore. You can't, I can't, I never hear a sermon about the end times anymore. I mean, I hear us talking about it once in a while. But how many of you notice there's a whole different repertoire in the big seeker church culture that we have today that it's all about the here and now and self-improvement? Am I making that up or is that really true? I don't hear anything about God's, I don't hear anything about repentance. I don't hear anything about heaven and eternity and the rewards or hell and the punishment. Don't hear much about that either. I don't hear anything about we're getting the end times are around us. I don't hear anything, very little, about you know, eternal things. Now, I hear about building the local church, and that's good if you're building it right, if you're building it to turn your eyes towards God instead of the here and now forever. And I believe that it's important that we talk to our families about uh, the church and then teach our kids to preach to people, to tell them about the things of God. And so you don't hear a lot about sending people out. You hear more about people bringing in. And, that, and that's good, and I understand that. But I just feel like the church today is very focused on the here and now and living and getting the best out of this world that we can and living the best life that we can and having the best that we can. And I, I think if you seek first the kingdom of God, all those things will be added to you. And I think that we need to become more eternity-minded so our kids will be too.